Hello, NATSO members. This is Joe Rickson, uh, your second vice president of NATSO, and I'm here with you today with Jonathan Marks. He's the CEO of Dynamic Pricing Partners. This is the first of a four-part series where myself and other members of our education committee will interview industry leaders and provide some uh, tangible insight and information on improving your career and efficiency as a ticketing professional. Um, so without further ado, uh, Jonathan, uh, thank you for joining us. Yeah, thanks for having me, Joe. Really appreciate you taking the time. No problem. My pleasure. And uh, I think our membership is going to get a lot out of um, you know some insights we can get from you today. So, you know, uh, first off, tell us a little bit about Dynamic Pricing Partners and, and how you got into the, uh, the ticketing industry. Yeah, definitely. So um, Dynamic Pricing Partners is kind of the second iteration of um, my first business, which was No Fee Seats LLC, which I started back in 2009. Um, you know, ultimately the goal of dynamic pricing partners is to help our clients maximize revenue and attendance on both the primary and the secondary market. So whether it's helping them with pricing decisions, uh, to capture more consumers or fans through their own websites or via the secondary, making sure that they're maximizing revenue for a high demand game or maximizing butts and seats for a lower demand game. Uh, that's really our, our core focus. Um, right now, we work with uh, almost a third of the Power Five institutions uh, and many members, um, you know, or many, many other schools throughout, whether it's the Big East, Mountain West, many conferences around the country. Fantastic. Now, you talk about, you know, having one third of the Power Five institutions. But how, would, how do you say, you know, you get those relationships to start? You know, what, you know, what? tools do you use or what's your pitch to you know getting into these institutions and being able to you know get inventory yeah definitely so i think the 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 first thing that we focus on is how can we help them drive consumers back to their own website so i think you know if you think about where the secondary market is today it's very different than it was five or six years ago um everyone's in it now uh, you have, you know, very small companies or individuals that are purchasing inventory. Uh, you have, you know, larger companies as well. So I think it's how can they control some of that market in order to stabilize it, drive the market back to parity. So if they have a $50 face, tick, face value ticket on the primary, you know, ideally the secondary is at $50 as well um, and, and eliminate $6 tickets, um, which is, I think, the... Um, you know, the, the bane of everyone's existence uh, in the ticketing space is how can we make sure that we have a stable secondary market that's in parity with the primary and we can drive consumers back to their own websites uh, in order to, to capture those sales there. So I think, you know, I think that's the first thing. The second thing is, um, you know, ideally sales are happen happening with your integrated marketplace, whether that's StubHub, Ticketmaster, Vivid Seats. Um, the goal is, you know, if sales happen there, that's great because you have all the customer data, but when sales are happening outside of those ecosystems, you know, how can a company like Dynamic Pricing Partners still help you capture that customer data, capture those sales, really maximize revenue on those non-integrated channels as well? Um, and, you know, then with a lot of analysis and, you know, our consultative approach, um, you know, I think we really win clients uh and, and new partners and relationships that way i'm glad you touched on you know the data because i think that's one of the 
the things that we talk about all the time in our industry is, you know, how to get that secondary market data uh, because, sure. because there's really no way for us to access that on the primary side. But even something as simple as getting uh, pricing data from a secondary, I mean, from a, you know, from a partner like you um, could definitely help. I know in our case, we, you know, you were one of the people that helped us with that. We just, we just asked for pricing data and we used that data to reprice our tickets. And we had a 40% revenue increase the next year, not because we did anything differently other than we just repriced the tickets to what they should have been priced to the whole time. Sure. Yeah. I mean, I think the, the, the pricing data is certainly very important to, to, to many of our partners and pricing differs on both the primary and the secondary, um, as well as the various different marketplaces. Um, I think the core focus is, you know, not only average sales price and quantity sold, things like that, but also, you know, what does that pace of sale look like? When is that consumer buying? Are they buying in the early life cycle of that event or are they waiting to the end, which is what we're seeing more and more nowadays um, is, is really the focus. You know, my thing is if if a school or institution is working with a secondary market reseller and all they are is a source of capital, I don't think that's a good partnership. I think a good partnership is the transparency and data, um, transparency into data, uh, the back and forth um, consulting that, that many partners um, like us can provide. And I think that's really valuable uh, because at the end of the day, the school owns that content, or in this case, the the tickets, and they should demand um, ultimately, you know, customer data, sales data, things like that. So I'm glad you mentioned that because we're going to to my next point. You touched a little on, you know, fan buying behavior, whether it's you know, the sure. early buyer who buys them as soon as they go on sale or the, or the fans who tend to wait. And as an industry, as you touched on, we seem to see that happening more and more often. I think our fans have conditioned themselves to try to wait as late as they can to get the best deal. Uh, but at the same time, as you can, as you can surely understand, that leaves a lot of revenue on the table. Um, how do we as, um, as universities and, you know, really revenue drivers get, get to the point where we're driving revenue, we aren't conditioning fans to wait until the last minute? Yeah, I mean, I think that's, that's a great question. Um, I wish I had the perfect answer for that because, uh, you know, driving a sense of urgency is really, you know, one of our core focus and values that that we look to uh, solve on a, on a daily basis. Um, I think first and foremost, you have to eliminate the, the cheap tickets on the market. So there can't be $6 tickets. There can't be this glut of inventory that's mispriced and that trains the consumer to buy tickets at the last minute because prices will be cheaper. If consumers want to buy tickets at the last minute, that's okay, and that's you know probably what's going to happen uh, as we continue to, you know, the world continues to grow and evolve and, and you know more of a mobile-only focus. But I think if that's going to be the case, then we have to train them that prices will actually rise. Um, if we can move marketplaces to where prices rise uh, versus fall as the event nears, then I think you're going to see a significant. Um, significant movement towards buying early and that like you said joe provides a lot more revenue visibility um probably provides operational visibility so you know how many people to staff for certain games ahead of time i mean it provides a whole host of visibility and marketing opportunities if we can move that consumer to, to buying early i actually think the music festival space does it really well um they you know initially put a small subset of their tickets on the market 
at say, you know, let's use $99 as an example. After those first thousand are sold, it, they, you know, it's, it's very visible. It tells you it's going to 109 and then maybe 119, 129 until the day of the event, it's at 149. So music festivals have done a really great job of, you know, pushing consumers to buy early in order to give them more visibility so they know how many people to staff and things like that. That's ultimately our goal uh, as, you know, we, you know, work on a daily basis towards. Awesome. Yeah, I, I know one of our other partners for Natso Fivo. Every week I get a, we get as a Fivo partner, we get, a, you know, updates for, you know, best practices. And there's always music festivals are always on there. They're always like number one. Because I think you're right. They've absolutely nailed the idea of, you know, dynamic pricing in the sense that you reward the early birds and the later you buy, you're effectively you know, punished. I don't, know, I don't know if that's necessarily the right word for, for waiting late and waiting until the last minute. So it conditions the buyer to buy early. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think that's, I think that's the right model. I think, you know, there's various different ways that we can all get there. Um, but I do believe it is working with a, you know, company with the school's best interests in mind and, and not just focused on, you know, uh, returning their, uh, recouping their return on investment. You know, I think that the school has to be the main focus for any partner uh, that, that they choose to work with. Uh, so the next question, it's a little more vague, but do you see any trends that are affecting the ticket industry in, in general for the collegiate market? Um, you know, I was just out at, at PacNet, and I think the big focus there was, was mobile only and getting that customer data from wherever they purchased the ticket. So you know who's in your, your stadium, your arena, uh, wherever, you know, that event takes place. I think that's the biggest trend where, you know, paperless ticketing or, or mobile only. Um, you're not going to see PDFs anymore. Hard tickets are going to go away. And the, the main focus is going to be on that customer. How can we market to them ahead of time? How can we engage them? So, you know, they don't want to, to sit on their couch at home and, and watch a game. They want to come to that event, uh, you know, every Saturday during college football or, or every night during college basketball, whatever it may be. Uh, so I think that's, that's a huge trend. Um, you know, I think, uh, I, you know, I, I do see more and more schools participating in the secondary market significantly, um, whether it's direct listing, you know, right to StubHub or, or TM Plus or, or Vivid. Um, we're seeing that more and more. You know, if, if consumers are going to the secondary before they're going to a uh, school's website, I think it's only natural you'd want to have inventory there as well. So I think that's certainly a big trend. And, and three to you know four years ago, that was a very taboo subject, and no one really wanted to discuss it. Even schools that that were direct listing or, or putting inventory in the secondary. Now, you know, I think schools are very open because now they, you know, I won't say they've opened the floodgates, but they they want to learn more about it and how to maximize that revenue and um, quantity or volume sold. Uh, and not just, you know, kind of do it behind the scenes. So I think schools are becoming more open and, and leveraging the, the secondary as well. And then third, I think, you know, ultimately, as I go back to kind of the first thing on, on the consumer and transfers and uh, mobile only, fan engagement is really at the forefront, I think, of everyone's minds and figuring out how can we, you know, kind of, you know, curb this attendance loss that, that we're seeing, particularly in, in the college football space. Um, but I'm sure, you know, it's going into to other sports as well. 
how can we get fans back into the stadium, back into the arena and excited about the event every day? And um, I don't have the perfect answer for that, but I think, you know, there's a lot of uh, ways that schools can learn from various other leagues and sports on, on how to do that. And I think that's really at the forefront of a lot of um, associate athletic directors that, that we speak to and, and ADs as well uh, for those schools. I think you're absolutely right. I think the challenge a lot of schools have, though, with the with the mobile tickets, and I speak to people all the time about this, is is are, it's great that you're going mobile only. That's fantastic. But um, you need to it, – There's it's a process. I think a lot of people sure. try to – Try, try to sort of wing the mobile and they just go right to it. But, it, you know, it's a multi-step process. You have to obviously have to educate your consumers on the change. Um, you have to find ways to go out and, and really meet with the people that are going to object to that, which for us is mainly our, you know, our, our older seats to go older between the, you know, ages of usually 45 and 65 or 70. Sure. Um, and find ways to sort of meet them in the middle because I, I don't, I'm not want to lose a customer over a mobile ticket, you know? Sure. Um, and then, you know, at the end of the day, data is important, but we need to make sure we're using the data. I think a lot of people just go mobile because it's the cool thing to do. Uh, but you obviously have to make sure that you're prepared to do something with that data um, once you get it, and that it's, you know, that it is tangible. Definitely. Yeah, no, I mean, I, I completely agree. I think, you know, I like to say it's kind of mobile only with the caveat, right? It, you know, you're not going to lose a consumer, particularly your core higher um, highest donation fan base if, if they want hard tickets or you'll find a solution for them and, and you know every school or, or partner we work with does um, but yeah I think like you said if we're capturing all this customer data let's make sure our marketing team has it uses it in the right way to remarket to those consumers to turn them from a secondary buyer into a single uh, you know game buyer mini plan holder season ticket holder and let's move them up the sales funnel to ultimately upsell them into one of those plans. I think um, there's a lot of data out there. And like you said, yeah, it's all about making sure you're using it in the, in the right, most effective way. So we touched on this a little bit, but, you know, what do you see, you know, mainly on the professional side, because um, they are a little bit ahead of the game in regards to using technology and, and obviously data that you think could translate, you know, well to the collegiate market that we're really not doing right now? Um, yeah, I mean, you know, we are, our core focus is really college, but just from, you know, working with some professional teams in the space, um, they really spend a lot of money on fan engagement, on marketing, on making sure it's a great experience, uh, for that fan. I think they have also participated in the secondary, uh, much earlier on and usually, you know, with a partner, uh, in order to, to leverage, um, maximizing revenue earlier on. I think it's 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 challenging in the environment of donations and public institutions to always do that, but that's what the pro space is really focused on, maximizing revenue. Um, I think it's a little more difficult in the college space because you know you want to maximize revenue but also have butts and seats and a great fan experience, um, whereas the pro teams um, can you know afford to uh, spend more on marketing, spend more on fan engagement. And even if the stadium isn't as full, they're still getting a lot of TV money. So um, from that perspective, you know, I think it is it, it's certainly a little bit different, but also you're seeing shrinking stadiums. I think that's a really cool part of what the pro space is doing, and they're doing it a little more quickly than than our, our college partners. Um, they are, you know, making the turning the end zone into premium space or in, in certain arenas, they're you know widening the concourse. 
uh, at a, you know, an NBA arena and putting in more club space, things like that, because premium and that experiential, um, you know, opportunity for consumers is really more at the forefront today than it was, you know, a few years ago. So I think those, you know, things are, are really the, the core focus in the, in the pro space right now. Absolutely. And you, like I said, I've been to other conventions and you're starting to see, especially on the pro end, the, the focus more towards, you know, shifting towards the needs of, of what they call the millennial buyer. And I really don't like using that word because millennial is really a vague term that covers a large swath of people. You know, half of millennials have kids now. So are they, can you really classify right. them into that millennial market, so to speak? Because um, all their needs are different, but you're definitely seeing, uh, you know, a shift towards more. Co- I would say communal, as you said, club spaces versus, you know, just big comfy seats and a waiter. That which is something like my dad would have liked when he went to events 20 years ago. That that you know, a younger generation might not be as inclined to truly appreciate the way you know an older fan would. Definitely, definitely, I, I agree. And yeah, I mean, the word millennial is. It's, it's thrown out there a lot, but I mean, like you said, everyone's different. You know, I'm a millennial with a, you know, a, a daughter versus my brother, who's a millennial who has no interest in family events, right? So, you know, I think every, everyone's different and it's hard to be something for everyone, but I think, you know, you can certainly do your best to, to be, uh, you know, something for as many people as possible. For sure. Uh, and last but not least, just to, to wrap this up, the you know, you were you came to convention, you know, last year for the first time. It was awesome seeing you. And I, you know, I can't speak enough to the, um, the, the growing number of, of secondary partners that have been coming out to convention the last couple of years. Can you speak a little bit to, you know, the value you got from, you know, the convention and, and why you decided to come and why you'd recommend that to, you know, to others? Yeah, I mean, I think the convention was a great way to have all of our current partners or most of them in, in one space. And then, um, some new opportunities to to meet new um, colleges and universities that we hadn't been in front of previously. Uh, so you know, uh, it was a, it was a great experience for that. And then also, you know, I think the the content that was there really added a lot of value uh, to my team just to understand the way that athletic departments are thinking about uh, the ticketing space, both on the sales side, the operational side, the fan engagement st- side. I think it was really valuable to understand, you know, the differences between each each institution and, you know, challenges at a large school are very similar to the challenges at a smaller school, just on a different scale. So everyone, I think, faces the, the same challenges on a daily basis. It's just, you know, at a, at a different level. Um, so, yeah, no, I mean, overall, it was, it was definitely a, a great experience. Awesome. Well, thank you again uh, for joining us, Jonathan. Once again, Jonathan and Marks from Dynamic Pricing Partners. We appreciate you being here. And if you haven't already registered for NASO, uh, the 2019 convention down in Orlando, please do so. It's June 11th to the 13th. Um, we'd love to get you on board for this year and have you at a convention. Once again, Jonathan, thank you again for joining us. Thank you, Joe. Appreciate your time. Take care.